0: Hello, everyone. In our fifth episode, we have kind of a special guest because it's the first person with whom we never met before. Uh, It's not any kind of friend of ours. And it's a person with a very fascinating life story, which we'll hear shortly. So Anna, welcome to our podcast. (laughs)
1: Welcome, it's good to have you on. Thanks for coming. Happy
2: to have you here. Yeah.
3: Yes, I'm also happy to be here and really curious and looking forward to our conversation. So thanks for having me. That's it.
0: First of all, can you share with us maybe where you're coming from for our listeners? What is your background in terms of education, maybe interests?
3: Sure. So I'm from Colombia. I was born there and I grew up there. I'm from Bogota, from the capital. I think in Colombia, depending on where you were born, you also have certain type of way of being I'm from the capital, from like the cold in Colombian terms, city, <laughs> <laughs> not as cold as in the Netherlands. But yeah, so I was born there. I grew up there. I studied law in Colombia, so I actually, I am a qualified lawyer back home. Mm-hmm. And after two years and a half of practicing law, I wanted to pursue my master's degree. Abroad, um, I wanted to do something different, so I chose Singapore. So that's where I ended up <laughs> in terms of taking this step out of of yeah, of my country. Of course, I really like traveling and very curious. Things nice to mention that I think I had this like Asian influence because I have an older brother, like twelve years older than me, and he was living in China and he also went like on his entrepreneurial venture. <laughs> to China, so I had the chance to not to go to Singapore, but I had seen a bit of the region and I wanted to do a master's. I wanted to do it in a very good uh, law school, uh, but I didn't want to go to like the usual places, like either to the US or to Europe and the as the National University of Singapore was like the sweet spot for me. So that's why basically I decided to, to go there in my adventure, even though, and I think this is always really nice to say. I didn't leave Bogota or my job because I didn't like it. Actually I loved my job. I was really, really happy <laughs> <laughs> yes. what I did, but I just know there was way more for me and I always think that there are many things that you don't know and unless you expose yourself to that, then you will get to learn about sure? what's out there.
0: But as far as I understand, you had a few years in between the bachelor's and the masters, so work experience in Bogota and it was mainly connected to the law uh, yeah. job.
3: Yeah, so I think that's something that happens more, or that's what I've seen in, yeah, Latin America. I've also seen this with Italians that first you study your bachelor's, so in my case was actually five years, and then you want to get a bit of experience and also learn a bit what you like, what you don't like, and then normally Or if you are privileged enough, you try to go abroad and do, and do your masters with that, a bit of extra experience. And yeah, so in those two years and a half, I think I did mainly law.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting because, for example, in Russia, people actually usually go to masters straight after the finishing bachelors. In my case, for example, I was had a few years of experience and came here and I was surprised that actually most of the people in our program were even older. In the thirties, in the forties. Some of them even in the fifties. No, someone even was from their seventies.
2: Yeah, seventies exactly.
0: Sixties? No, seven.
2: She was seventies?
0: Yeah,
1: finished okay. I mean <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'll lie. Yeah, I not but it's like it's now there. Yeah, yeah, I did my masters straight after my bachelor, but I think it's also nice to have some years of experience then to better understand what you wanna do. Specialized, but then after you worked for a couple of years in Bogota, you decided to make a move to Singapore.
3: Yeah, exactly. I chose Singapore because of what I just mentioned, but also I was doing like product finance and infrastructure, and then also Singapore felt like a nice place to learn from all these topics. Because it, of course, at that time, I wanted to stay in law mm-hmm. and yeah, build my lawyer professional career abroad. It changed actually in Singapore oh, okay. a bit, mm-hmm. no, a lot, but, <laughs> mm. <laughs> but yes, I just really wanted the international experience and it felt just like the time to, to do it. Because sometimes I feel you get a bit too comfortable and not that my job was easy, I worked hard, but it was mm-hmm. com- comfortable. Uh,
0: yeah. You mentioned that you, when you were coming to Singapore, by that time you liked your work in Colombia, I think that means that you didn't no, by the time that you want to live for good, you, you're still undecided.
3: Well, no, I want to build my professional career abroad because I want to be part of something that allows me to go to more places, that allows me to see the world. In like this curiosity was like really in me. And of course the job was fun, but that job was not going to allow me to do as much as I knew I, I could do even, yeah. I think life then showed me a lot of stuff, but, but I think it was just something that I knew I had to just... So you just... just wanted
1: to explore the rest of the world and try different...
3: Yeah. So talk
2: to us about how easy or hard it was to get master's from the university in Singapore, especially as a Colombian, as a Latin American. Did you require some sort of financial assistance or did you apply to any kind of scholarships?
3: Actually, yes. So I didn't know I was going to get a scholarship, but course I could have made it work I don't know brother could have supported me or even I could have gotten like a loan or something but I applied to a scholarship actually it's for the NUS I think it's a scholarship just for the lawyers like masters so yeah I applied and then first it was funny because I was very happy to Actually doing this during my job. So I had applied in December, but then in April I was really, really happy. And and then I got the acceptance letter and then I'm like, oh great. And I had a bit of these like mixed feelings at the time and I remember that I was running Boston Marathon. So I was traveling with myself and I went to Rome had... oh, oh, you Boston? Went to Boston. Sorry. Well, Is that the Boston marathon? Yeah.
1: <laughs> Did you do any other majors? No. But <clears throat> the whole 42 kilometers or wow. Wow. that's
2: impressive impressive
3: <laughs> so i was a bit like in this trip i was with a friend i was staying with a friend was studying in boston but then i was a lot with myself like alone i like it i was just traveling with myself and i knew i didn't tell anyone that i had been accepted to these masters which is the thing that i wanted to do in theory But then I had like a bit of mixed feelings and I remember during the trip, I told my friend, I told her like, oh, you know, by the way, I got these, but I'm not sure (laughs) um, if this is really the time because I see so many opportunities in my job and I think I'm doing great and... I was twenty five at the time, so I had like a yeah, really good salary and I was growing super fast, so everything that mm-hmm. one could want. Yeah. <laughs> so then it was a bit of a difficult decision and then I thought, okay, just life. Please show me what it is it that I need to do. Like I really need a sign. I remember all the trip just thinking. I need a sign, I need a sign because I cannot make my final oh, <laughs> decision. Yeah. I just need a bit of guidance. So, and, and then I got this. I, I I always have, I don't know if listeners believe in these things or not, but sometimes I want the universe to show me <laughs> or give me a bit of guidance because sometimes you just don't know. And yeah, you need to trust a bit. Sometimes it works, sometimes.
0: Yeah. I think yeah. a lot of people can relate to this, I mean, especially nowadays with the Sasha complex world around Mm us.
3: Yeah. So then I I think one day after I came back from the marathon, I got to Scottish. Mm -hmm. And then that was very clear that I had to go.
0: No, I mean, (laughs) that's a really cool story, but it's only the start of the story. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, can you maybe share with us what's, what happened after you graduated? So did you change your specialization straight after, or you gradually were coming to another field in your career?
3: Yeah, so after I graduated from my master's? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I always like to say that Singapore really opened up my world. I think this has a bit of connection with what I was saying before. Like you don't know many things until you expose Mm -hmm. yourself to that world. And I think that happened to me in Singapore. I knew I was in a bubble and then I burst my own bubble. bubble. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, sometimes it's a bit painful. It's uncomfortable. You go through a lot of things. But then this really was Singapore meant for me. And then in Singapore, I remember I was starting getting very interested in fintech. Why fintech? I don't know, but there was a lot of fintech going around and it was really at the start of my masters. And then around like, yes, halfway through, I discovered that the, there was something called legal tech. And then I was doing like an internship in a law firm in Singapore. And I told the partner who had given me the, the internship, this was not an easy internship, by the way, I was already job hunting because the first thing that I remember, the first thing in our introduction to the masters, the question I asked, like, what do I need to do to find a job here? I want to stay. Like, <laughs> I was very determined, <laughs> As if, yeah, of course I thought it was going to be super easy. Everyone said like, you need to get an internship in Christmas time. So in between the two semesters. And I was like, okay. I need to get an internship. I just started like talking to people and I actually applied to many things. But I remember that I just got it because I had met a lawyer once somewhere. And then this lawyer connected me with this partner and then I got this uh, internship. And then during my internship, I told this partner, yeah, fintech, but I was also interested in legal technology, innovation. I was just very driven to the topic. It really felt like something. Um, I wanted to do and pursue mm-hmm. so through my master's I decided mm-hmm. that I actually didn't want to do law anymore so in, in a way stay law because it had to do with law but more from the side of facilitating the implementation of technology and mm-hmm. innovation mm-hmm. can you maybe briefly describe our audience what do you mean by legal tech yeah so legal tech is basically technology in the legal field. And I think you have two main ways of seeing legal tech. Legal tech can be like directly to the consumer. So, oh, I go to an app and they file my claim. Exactly. Or it can also be legal technology, help lawyers to be more efficient, platforms to facilitate transaction management, or discover information in largest amounts of data. So it's just technology in the law.
1: Okay. So you gained a lot. Of experience and learned a lot of things while you were in Singapore, right?
3: Yes, a lot. I, of course I was doing my master's, but at some point it didn't care so much about my master's to be honest, (laughs) when I realized that this is what I wanted to pursue. Really the only thing that I was doing, was going to events. It was like a really vibrant community in Singapore on legal technology. So it was super fun because I really think that it was a very safe environment to just go to events, talk to people, create a network. Yes. I, mm-hmm. I felt that that was so much. It was so important for me for what came after that, because I got very comfortable. Like I arrived to Singapore, I know zero people. I left Singapore knowing so many and not from my masters, but mm-hmm. from this legal tech innovation space.
0: How many years, months, and totally spent in Singapore?
3: I spent like 14 months. 14? Yeah. I wanted to stay in Singapore. So was it... Was it possible for you to stay? No.
0: (laughs) So there is no search visa analog in Singapore?
3: You have this visa that you can get, but it's very restrictive and you cannot work in anything. So you have a year visa, a bit similar like in the Netherlands, but it just allows you to stay. But Mm -hmm. you cannot be a waitress or...
0: Not even a bartender job. No, no, no. But
1: you're just allowed to stay and look for a job.
3: Exactly. You're just allowed to look for a job with the mm-hmm. visa. And I had looked for my job since I arrived and <laughs> basically mm-hmm. to to Singapore. And I had done all the networking and I was super close to getting two jobs. And both jobs, I didn't get them because I was still quite junior at the time in what I wanted to do. And then, yeah, there's a lot of regulations on the percentage of expats that companies can have, Mm -hmm. then of course, they only want to give these working permits with people with a bit more of experience. Mm -hmm. So I think at some point I realized it, it was like really difficult for me to accept that (laughs) uh, reality because I actually worked for three months with a Singaporean company, but it was just three months contract. They couldn't sponsor me and without the visa, I just couldn't. Uh couldn't stay. Uh So this is how you ended up in, in where in Berlin, but it's because at some point I just realized I stayed there. I remember I had a round trip, like I could have gone back to Colombia because at the end, I remember when I bought it, it was like same price one way. So I remember I was with my brother and then he told me like, yeah, well, just get it. And if you just don't want to come back, then you just to use it mm-hmm. at the end money-wise. So I remember the day that I let my flight <laughs> go, I didn't took the plane back to, to Colombia. I mm. still was waiting for a job. It was a bit difficult. And then, yes, I had these two options. I was waiting really for one. I knew the lady. I had many good talks with her. I had official interviews. So I was like, this is it. And this is what I want to do. But at the end, they told me, oh, now we cannot mm-hmm. sponsor you. So for me, that was the time to start looking somewhere else. And what I did start doing was I created a legal tech challenge on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. So I was posting every day. It was a 90 days legal tech challenge. Mm-hmm. How can I get people to know me? How can I put myself in the radar? What can I do? And That's so proactive of me. <laughs> like, what can I do? And... And at that point, for me, it felt like, what do I have to lose? I have nothing. And then I was like so determined with this legal tech story. I don't know why, but they just felt this is what I need to do. It was for me, of course, it was very easy to realize that with law firms. So going into a law firm directly without without the innovation experience, the structure is a bit too um, mm-hmm. yeah conservative. And so for me, I re- very quickly realized that my first job probably was not going to be with with them in that field. With startups, all the legal tech startups that were booming at the time, uh, I felt, well, I for sure I can find a way. I know London has a super vibrant community. And from Singapore, I was already starting to reach out to people everywhere because, Mm -hmm. okay, Singapore is a super small island, but the world is so big, I cannot believe that I cannot find something Mm -hmm. for myself. (laughs) Of course, I had to let go Singapore, which was yeah a bit painful in a way. But on the other hand, it felt like, okay, you just want a professional career. You just want to grow in this field. Just be open for.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's actually a very useful kind of point of view for the people who are not able to find um, the boost in their career in some geographical locations. (laughs) And uh, yeah, I think our psychological mechanisms just work this way that You start to think maybe it's something wrong with me. Maybe I'm just not good enough, but yeah, your story actually shows us that sometimes you just need to change your surroundings. And yeah, tell us more about your moving to Berlin.
3: I started applying everywhere, connecting with people. LinkedIn became my, and still one of the things that I think Mm -hmm. it's very powerful in my opinion, you can do so much with LinkedIn. And connect with so many people everywhere. A shout out to LinkedIn creators.
1: Well, I recently watch the video how actually LinkedIn ruins your careers in a way so it makes you like compete.
2: Why are you the way you are? (laughs) No, I mean,
0: I mean, Dmitry is the way he is. Yeah, he's he's a, he's a very smart, critical mind. That's why we are best friends with him. No, actually this is, yeah, maybe out of topic a little bit, but still LinkedIn creates kind of this red race. Very, in a way that, yeah, if you have some competitive advantages and you're on demand, you're just boosting there. But if you're in any way, you're just not suitable, you open LinkedIn and you may become desperate because you see all these successful people and you don't know what to do.
3: Yeah. I think from my point of view, it was more like, it's up to you what you do with, with LinkedIn, LinkedIn itself and the algorithm can do many things. And I know it's always changing, but I think it just allows you to connect and to show up and I think for me it was really helpful. So I, on purpose started doing, it was a template that I created myself, but I just wanted to put on the spot. To different legal tech companies but of course my purpose in a way was also to put myself yeah. in the radar
2: did it help you to land the job in berlin
3: it helped me actually because then i had been in touch with this company in berlin and i had a chat with the guy and he was like well I it's very busy but i'll come back to you and then three weeks after he didn't come back to me so i sent him again a message and then he said, Okay, I know you're looking for a marketing person. And I was like, marketing, but it was still legal tech. So I felt like, Okay, I do it. <laughs> I go for the mm-hmm. marketing job. And then I didn't close yet the job. My boyfriend, I met him in Singapore, but actually, he happens to be Dutch. Oh, okay.
1: Oh, so this is how it's all connected.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, not really, but he had to come back and I was going to stay. And at the end, we felt, Let's see how life. Uh, Turns out, let's not make any decisions. So he was already in back in the Netherlands and I was already getting so much momentum with different companies in Europe. And then he said, well, just come. I had this remote job with the Singapore company. It was just enough money, but it was okay. I can do this job and then I can come here and do this networking story. I am having so much momentum. Let's just go. And then he also said like, just come, stay. You can stay at my place.
0: So you came to the Netherlands?
3: I came to the, n- the Netherlands first, without a job, <laughs> by the way, just like, okay, let's just trust. So I closed everything down in Singapore. I even left a bag in Singapore that I didn't pick up at the end. <laughs> I left it at a friend's house. You it is still there? I donated the stuff. But no, because she was also so tired of having these clothes so and uh, my medals, but it's okay. Then I think three weeks after I arrived to the Netherlands, they said, okay, now let's just see how it goes. And we, I, Of course, I don't have a European passport, so of course I was very transparent, like I need you to sponsor me, otherwise I cannot work and then they were willing to sponsor me.
1: But in between Singapore and Netherlands, you live in, the, in Berlin, right?
3: So I went to Berlin to get to know them to see if that was going to work out. And at the end they said, okay, Anna, let's do the whole thing. And then I had to go back to Colombia. They were our first remote company, so I could steal uh, work from Colombia while I got my paperwork ready because all this paperwork had to be done from, from Colombia. Colombia. Yeah. And you came back from Colombia to Berlin. Yeah. So I was a bit like in between places. This was just before COVID and I was just in time oh. because I remember I flew, I got all my papers 1st of March and I flew like 6th of March and the lockdown was ten. Tell
2: us about the experience relocating from Colombia to Germany during the COVID time.
3: Yeah, it was not the dream life, (laughs) I would say, (laughs) and it was difficult. Of course, the job was what I wanted, but it was also not, so it was a good first step, but of course it was not what I wanted to do, like to be a marketeer in legal tech. What I learned is that doesn't matter what you do, if you're doing marketing, you're doing marketing, you know, you're not doing innovation or anything. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, it was difficult. I didn't have a house. I ended up leaving a cool living space, which at the end turned out to be good. But yeah, it was not like the fun expat experience that you imagine. You should probably also touch uh, up on the housing situation in both Ger- Germany and
2: the Netherlands.
1: And Singapore, now Singapore has a fascinating yeah. housing sort of a regulations and market up there that tenants are very well protected and there is quite a good supply and demand situation, not like in Europe.
2: Let's say Rotterdam, Berlin and Singapore. Yeah. Among these three cities, mm-hmm. what do you think about housing?
3: Yeah. So in Singapore, I had a bit of a um, bad experience with <laughs> a landlord and that was not so fun because she was my landlord, but she was my roommate as well and I think you shouldn't get into that. Well, sometimes it works well, but in my opinion, it didn't. I think, yeah, she was a bit crazy. But.
0: <laughs> <laughs> not the first story. <laughs> yeah, like
2: that. No,
3: it was really horrible. I left the place. I had to go because she was really making my life miserable. But it was not so difficult. Let's say, of course, I came with my Colombian lifestyle. So I was looking for something that met my standards. So, in that way, I wouldn't say it was very difficult Excuse- in Berlin. Actually, I had a bad experience. I was looking for a place from Colombia and then, well, it was supposed to be a deposit, but it was fake. So in Berlin, thanks to this co-living, cool I really found the place quite fast because I needed a place also. The city was in lockdown, so we really needed a place to live. And then here, so of course I arrived and then my boyfriend was living here. And by the way, I didn't move to the Netherlands because of him. I actually didn't live with him until... Well, now a year ago, but I just got a job here. Mm. And then it was also not so difficult, but, to be honest. So I know there's a lot of people who struggle, but then because of this co-living place that I was living in the Netherlands, they also had a co-living here in the Hague. And then I basically got transferred. back from one co-living mm. to the other co-living.
2: That's okay. cool. Mm-hmm.
3: And then I lived there until I decided that I was going to move with my boyfriend. How many years have you spent at Berlin? It's off one year.
0: So, yeah, I mean, it's interesting how it's connected all of these stories. So you were coming to Singapore because of your elder brother who spent some time in China, you were interested in that part of the world. Then you met your current <laughs> boyfriend who is Dutch. They just came there. You thought about Berlin, you moved there just before the lockdown, I think it Just proves how it's important to be open to opportunities, which can come just anytime and be around the corner
3: of any sources.
0: Absolutely. Yeah.
3: Yes. I know that this is what, that we will go a bit more into that, but yeah, the Job the Compass, which you will learn more is really about that. It's really about to be in a mindset, which allows you to see more opportunities. So I sometimes feel that ourselves, we just close ourselves to everything. is like the market is so difficult. This is horrible. Yeah. But if this is your mindset, of course it's going to be even more difficult. I'm not saying this is easy. I think job hunting really changed me. <laughs> yeah, it really broke me. And now I'm again myself, but it was really tough. But I also think that it's important to be proactive and to allow yourself to see more opportunities. Wow. I think it's interesting. It's also, so you just asked about the housing, because I know Mm -hmm. a lot of people struggle with housing. I struggle, of course, with the job hunting process, but actually this idea was born, and especially like the (laughs) seed was planted really when I was waiting for my visa here in the Netherlands. So I got a job. I was going to, let's say, start working December 2020 or something like that. And then the company was going to sponsor me because of course i don't have any other passport than my colombian passport and then that went super wrong so they denied my visa um, then they said okay i know we're going to try again and they tried again they denied it again then they hired the lawyers so there was a lot of waiting basically from my official uh, start, because yes, December 2020, until when I officially started working, which was June, So then I had these six months in which I was a bit in my gray area. I still could stay in Europe because I had my German residence, but yeah, it was a bit messy yeah, in that sense. So 90% of the time I felt like I was like a criminal <laughs> a bit because I was like, can I be here? Because of course I thought, okay, I'm going to move to the Netherlands. I'm going to start a job. I closed down everything in Berlin, move here. Oh, by the way, I know you cannot start. So, <laughs> and then it just kept uh, going and it was, yes, difficult. But then at at that time that it was a bit like, what do I do? I do have my job, but I cannot work and I cannot do anything else. What do I do with this time (laughs) that I have? And a lot of people were asking me like, oh, but how did you get all these jobs? And this is how I created what I I now call the job hunt compass, which is yes, a framework to um, give people tools to navigate the
2: job hunt process. Is it specific to the Netherlands or to, to Dutch market only? Or? No.
3: no, because I think that the tools that I provide, I was in Singapore, I was in Berlin, I've always done my job hunt research beyond the boundaries of a country. So maybe only in Singapore, because this was the only place that I really wanted to stay. But after that, I really I remember I do it. I think my searches were always regional. Mm. So especially right before moving to the Netherlands because of COVID, I was only looking to Europe and UK. Uh, So for me, I just know what I want to do. And that's why these tools I think are applicable to, in my opinion, every industry, but also any country. So your project, your,
2: as you said, uh, the set of tools that you're providing is basically a workshop.
3: Yeah, there's like a mentoring format that I was testing, like more one-on-one, but I don't like it so much. I also do this because I like and I want to Really have an impact and empower as many people as I can, and I don't think the one-on-one is the best uh, way of doing it. So yes, it's basically uh, a workshop. So initially, I thought I am just going to do it online because I want these to be accessible to as many people as possible. But lately, I've been having requests to do it on site, of course here in in the Netherlands. So yeah, and it's like a two hours workshop. We go through three main pillars. That's how I call them. And yeah, hopefully after that, you get some tools to be able to do it yourself. Like it's about empowering yourself. And that's, that's mm-hmm. the goal.
0: Maybe if it's okay with you, maybe you could share some highlights of this workshop with our listeners who, a lot of them are also located in, in the Netherlands,
1: say they might be your future <laughs> visitors. Yeah. Is it, is it more of a like practical? tips in terms of how to structure your LinkedIn profile and how you contact recruiters or more of a like general mindset, certain ideas, how you should position yourself.
3: So it has three main pillars for me. And what I've heard from people is that the first one is the one that has more impact, which actually has to do with the mindset. That's the first pillar. And for me, I see it like in a pyramid. The mindset is in the bottom because mm-hmm. the mindset it's really It's
1: like a foundation. It's
3: like a foundation. I really think that with the wrong mindset, no one oh maybe if you have like a spectacular CV and you're like a perfect match, maybe it doesn't matter. What I see is that I think you can have all the perfect link getting the perfect cover letter. But if you don't have the right mindset and yeah. the next pillar is a story, so how you present yourself out there to other people, how is it that you're telling the story about yourself? That also is, has a really strong impact. At the end, you are selling yourself to the job market. Maybe just to round it up, you have three main pillars, a mindset, the story, which is more like how you pitch yourself. Mm-hmm. And then there's some sort of strategy that it's more on like becoming a bit more strategic, who, who are you reaching out? How how are you applying to jobs, and and I also think because job hunting can be emotionally very draining, Mm -hmm. and sometimes and it's like a really intense roller coaster. So sometimes you're like in a high because you have an interview, but then the next day you're like in the (laughs) bottom.
0: (laughs) I think that not a lot of people understand who haven't been in this situation. That job hunting in most of the cases is a job itself, but an unpaid job (laughs) and yeah, which requires more kind of emotional
1: (laughs) struggles Yeah, patience.
2: May I ask why was your visa
3: denied multiple times? Yeah. So I think this is a nice story also because it breaks with a lot of ideas that we have. So my visa was denied basically because the company that wanted to hire me, they were not sponsors, Mm -hmm. so They couldn't hire me as a highly skilled uh, migrant. Mm -hmm. So this is very specific from from the Netherlands, of course, but they were just like, oh, just explain why Anna is the only person that can do this job and not the other rest of the European citizens, (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. which is always a very difficult thing to, especially if I was going to do customer success management, which of course is not like very, (laughs) very specific. Mm So to get that visa was that easy, basically. Mm -hmm. And what the lawyer said is that, yes, it requires you to be like very niche, to have a very specific type of expertise and skills for the company to be able to prove that you are the only person and that there's no other European (laughs) (laughs) citizen. But you did get the job in the end. Yeah. And how? So the company at the end, the lawyer said the only way, like the reasonable way to do it, please don't fight. You have no chance first. So yes, that she recommended the best way to do is first you become a sponsor. So the company became a this sponsor, and then they could hire me as a highly skilled migrant.
0: But did the company know when they wanted to hire you and kind of proposed you with a, with the offer? Did they know that they cannot sponsor you or they were not aware of that?
3: No, they were super aware because that was the first thing that I made people aware of. When hiring me, you really need to know that if you want to hire me, you need to sponsor me. They were just not familiar with the process itself. I was the first non-European person that they hired. They were also in this moment that they were trying to expand beyond the Benelux. So there was also, I guess, like these... I do know, spirit of mm. <laughs> becoming more international. Wow. And then that perhaps helped me. And they tried, and then they said, like, yeah, we can do it. We will follow the the process. But, of course, this experience of, like, yeah, the arguing, and it was crazy. Like, they wrote so much. Like, I remember when I saw those documents, they were in Dutch, but then my boyfriend, I don't speak Dutch, by the way, my boyfriend read through it, and it was, like, so long. And I then at the end, I felt like they put so quite some some effort in it.
1: Okay. And think now it's time to discuss the Dutch life itself, how you find it and do you like it here, just in general?
3: My life in the Netherlands, I think I we had a rough start because they didn't allow me to, <laughs> to work and to stay here. But at the end now, I think I like it. I like some things I don't like some others. I think I experienced different types of this first company. That I started working and even though this was the job I thought I wanted, it turned out not to be the case. So I actually hated the job. <laughs> <laughs> Which is terrible when you know how much people have done for you. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> At the end it was a still very Dutch company. So it was really, really Dutch and yeah, and not so many internationals and I just saw life in a very different Way, I remember I listened to the episode from McKinsey, I think, yeah. and she tells her the story, she's the bread, yeah. <laughs> he these ones that I was also taking my lunch country- <laughs> to, to the things. It was super Dutch, but they were, like, I think it was something that I had to experience. But then, yeah, the minute after, I felt like I cannot stay. Here. <laughs> so I think this is something that I like to share with people. Sometimes we think that the dream job will come immediately and sometimes we just need to break it down into smaller steps. And I think there are a lot of beliefs that if you change very often of job, people will think that, I don't know, that you don't know what you want. But I actually think that because, you know, what you want? You don't stay where you don't want to be. And this is something that I personally, I don't stay where I don't want to. I remember I got this question like, oh, but why do you change again? And and I just say, well, this is what I want. I've been, every single step has taken me closer to the job that I want. And believe me, if this is it, I will stay and I will give it all. Mm -hmm. But yeah, trust me or not, take it or leave it. And of course with time you get more better position, you know, at some point you just need a job, so yeah. you just need a job and you take it. <laughs> no. But then after that, when you're looking for a job and you already have a job, then you can be a bit more picky, you can take more yeah. risks. So it's also something that as time goes by, you get better positioned.
0: Mm-hmm. So was there any kind of pause in between the jobs here in the Netherlands or you started straight after?
3: Yeah. I had already quite some gaps, so I also wanted to earn the money and it was not super time consuming so it was a nine to five job mm-hmm. and it allowed me to work on the compass, but also to look for jobs. And at the time I also told myself, I'm not going to start looking like crazy. I will only apply if it's the innovation job that mm-hmm. I was looking for. And this is actually nice for all the listeners to know. The only job that I got on a formal application was the one that i have now. Ah. The other jobs, i got reaching out to people saying, oh. "Hey, I'm Anna. This is what i want to do." <laughs> Speaking of the way
2: of applying to the jobs, as the creator of job hunting or job, job Hunt compass. compass yes. Would you recommend to apply through network or
3: straight from the website? I think both I think that what helps a lot and what helped me with this application also because I didn't want to get myself in something that I didn't like. And I think you need to test. I think it's very important just to see what works, what doesn't work, how, what story or how you frame certain type of messages. That's how I did it. I remember when I started on LinkedIn, I used to send people paragraphs, like oh. you needed to keep scrolling so much. <laughs> so if I read this and I'm like, I don't know how they answer it. So this is a the time you just get a bit more experience. Yeah. and
0: Yeah. To be honest, while listening to you, the question uh, rolls up in my head, because in your case, when you kind of have some educational background, which can be practical, you have uh, some idea of where you want to work in what sphere, it is very useful to be active, proactive, but for those who are still maybe struggling with choosing their career path, maybe they already had some experience, which they're not very kind of proud of, they want to change, but they try to look for, try to find a niche. What are, the, what are the strategies in that situation?
3: Network, just network. Uh-huh. I think you just need to talk to people, also learning from other people who have a bit of a similar background. So I remember I really reach out to so many people who used to be lawyers and more then they were doing innovation or legal technology or were working now in startups. So I really reached out to them and tell them, yeah, hey, I found your story super interesting. Can you share with me is that I really would like to be like you. And then I think 60% of the times so i really happy to give you half an hour to talk to you. And that's also a way of them knowing you, and maybe they say like, oh...
0: Yeah, a friend of mine. Like, oh. Exactly.
3: So you don't know. And I think that that's one of the things of the compass. There are many opportunities that are like a bit invisible. They are exactly. not advertised, but there's so much that's going on okay. and you just really need to be able to untap all these <laughs> like mm-hmm. yeah. possibilities. And really the only way is putting yourself out there, talking to people. I think the more you get into the network the more possibilities you will start.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Also kind of a broad question from my side. Do you think after the COVID, the job hunt process for expats, especially in Europe changed, do you think maybe it's becoming harder to move from your country of origin, which is outside of EU, like, especially in the case of the Netherlands, or it's. Practically the same, just what? based on your experience.
3: Yeah, I think so. I don't know if when I got my last job was still COVID. So for me, I got this job January 2022. 20, so mm-hmm. And this was this after COVID. All my interviews were online, for example. Actually, if I see it from the lens that I see live, I think these allow people to become a bit more open to especially if you are not working in the place or in the city or in the country where perhaps there's this opportunity. I really think that actually COVID opened up those uh, opportunities opportunities Mm -hmm. to more online interviewing, to being a bit more open to this sort of hybrid working. So actually, I don't know in terms of the market because, yeah, I don't know. The market has always been difficult. This is what people say. I work for a corporate nowadays. Everyone is, yeah, the work for talent, and then I hear all the people job hunting and the market is so difficult. And I don't know what's the disconnect with these two worlds.
0: Yeah, it, I, Yeah, I mean, I'm <laughs> just asking because just from a personal perspective, I'm talking to people and I'm observing the situation. It seems like in the Netherlands, uh, the kind of boom for the experts, for talented people is now coming to the end in terms of that they have enough of workforce and a lot of people are still coming. But now they introduced new laws for the um, universities, which more programs can be only taught in Dutch. They now canceled the 30% uh, ruling tax system. Yeah, it's the last year now, which is still in place. So, yeah, it just, my observations is that maybe it's a global trend, maybe it's a EU trend, maybe it's just for the Netherlands. So I just wanted to ask for your opinion, but of course it's very hard to generalize.
3: Yeah, I don't know. I think... You will always get a bit of challenge everywhere.
1: Yeah, I think the Dutch government just became more targeted and specific in who they want to attract. Rather than yeah, attracting a broad pool of candidates, they want specific people for specific roles and in specific industries. And for them, they will accommodate you and support you in the process, but other people who they don't really need to. Yeah, you're playing, you're playing their game, it's not their game. <laughs>
3: yeah, uh, but I always think this is something that I like to challenge a bit and also with the mindset is, of course, it's, I'm not saying that it's easy, but I do think that if you keep telling yourself all these stories, it can be true, but maybe there are companies that are a bit more open, maybe there are companies that are willing to, to accommodate so, yeah, I think it's also good to, to say, what are the things that I can do for myself? How can I take control of my job hunt? It, because it always feels a bit like the companies is people, and I wait until the opportunity mm-hmm. appears. But what if you do it the other way mm-hmm. around? Mm-hmm. It's a bit more uncomfortable. It's a bit more awesome. proactive. But I think that's where thing, interesting things can happen.
1: Yeah, I think just to finish up. The episode I want to ask you maybe one like go to line or quote that you always use to motivate yourself and don't give up if life gets tough and unpredictable.
3: I have many, but this is a very simple one. It's just do the best with what you have. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we try to, we're very focused in all the things that we don't have, all the experience that we don't have, all the things that we don't have. Just do the best with what you have. And mm-hmm. uh, when I was in Singapore, I wanted to stay in Singapore. I was getting traction in Europe. I did the best with what I had at the moment. So I think it's more like do the best with what you have, empower yourself with the things that you have and focus your attention in that. Thank you so much for joining our podcast, our episode. And I think it's going
2: to be super practical and super motivational yeah. to our listeners.
0: And above all, it will be probably the longest episodes and I hope it maybe will become a little bit viral <laughs> with the help of your network. If you will also like it and uh, would like to share with them this very intriguing story of yeah experiencing ups and downs and uh, navigating through different countries and I mean as far as you told us finding kind of a dream job yeah yeah you can find the link to your workshop
2: yeah in yeah.
0: the description below please go and share it with our listeners and uh, many thanks for coming today.